This is the Not The Top 20 podcast. We're sponsored by Betfair. We care about all things EFL, which is just as well because we've got a lot to talk about. It's a busy weekend across all three leagues, some huge fixtures. In particular, I thought pre-weekend League 2 looked especially tasty and it didn't disappoint. I'm Ali Maxwell. Got George Ellick with me. How you doing, mate? Yeah, it was a nice intro. I'm good. Reverse psychology this week. Not going to plug our live show at the Leicester Square Theatre. I'm just thinking of different ways of selling tickets. I've said quite a lot about it. You've said quite a lot about it. This week, saying nothing about it. Or have I just said something about it? Hard to say. Be a shame if people bought tickets off the back of it, wouldn't it? Unagi. Let's talk championship, shall we? And I think, as is tradition, we'll start at the top of it. We don't always, but this week, I think it's apt. We'll start with the league leaders, Fulham. Let's not take them for granted, because we won't have them for many more months, that's for sure. They beat Blackburn, the team in fourth place, 2-0 at Craven Cottage in the early game on Saturday lunchtime. George Rovers did pretty well for, for 25 minutes, but all season, any team that's taken points off Fulham, it's generally been because they've been at their absolute maximum to do so, rather than Fulham have particularly dropped their performance level. I don't think there's any other team like that in the Championship, and that's why they're so far clear at the moment. But some teams have achieved it. Huddersfield, for example, a couple of weekends ago, Rovers did not achieve it. Big, big mistake from the goalkeeper after 25 minutes. And that spelled the end of that game. Yeah, I mean, Blackburn did okay, as you say. I mean, they, they had four shots in the game. Um, they created 0.18 XG from those four shots. Um, Tyree Sterling looked pretty lively, uh, which was good to see at, at that level. Um, certainly... Blackburn's the most dangerous player in terms of carrying the ball. He was booked for a, a dive, which looked completely fair enough um, from what I saw. When you measure Blackburn's performance uh, compared to the 7-0 drubbing that they faced at their place in this exact fixture, um, albeit down to 10 men, then of course it's improvement. But Fulham are very good value for their um, for their win. Uh, looked like possibly Mitrovic should have had a penalty himself with the first instance, certainly not uh, a second one. Terrible mistake from Kaminsky, um, as you say, gifted uh, Cabano the opener. And then, then from then on, it, it kind of never felt like Blackburn were going to get back into this game. It was only really a contest at 0-0 um, with a magnificent assist, as you so eloquently put it, uh, from Rolls-Royce defender Tosin um, through for, for Harry Wilson getting the, the... I mean, this was as regulation a 2-0 home win as you're basically going to see, albeit with a little bit of help from the from the opposition keeper. Yeah, see, the Rolls-Royce thing, I lost a little bit of confidence on Sunday when, unfortunately, I happened to be watching a Premier League football match, uh, during which Anna Smith, co-commentator, called Martin Odegaard a Norwegian Rolls-Royce. And I thought, hold on, I thought it was accepted in, in football cliches law that a Rolls-Royce is a centre-back, particularly a, a ball player, particularly one with a very laid-back body language. Apparently not. Uh, I think I'm right on this. I'm not sure Alan Smith is, um, but I do have a lot of respect for him. Because I agree, like I'm trying to think. I remember calling someone a Rolls Royce, and it was Luke McNally who fits into the Correct. the um the the category. What car would would you be if you're like a very good attacking midfielder? Maybe you should invent the car that should be the comparison. Asking the man with the least amount of car knowledge in the whole world. Mm, that would be me. Is a Lotus Elise <laughs> still a thing? I used to like those on on one of the old Need for Speed games. An absolute Lotus. <laughs> He's a lotus of a midfield. That works quite well, doesn't it? Yeah. Flashy, you know, a bit, yeah, just a bit flash, basically. <laughs> yeah. Martin Odegaard, Lotus, Tosin Adarabio, okay. Rolls-Royce. What a performance from the centre-back, by the way. Absolutely unbelievable. He is so unflappable. He's so dominant and, and so good on the ball. That was, I mean, look, I don't want to go over the top about it. I called it the assist of the weekend on Quest. I stand by that. When you can split 
a whole set defence with one pass to send your uh, winger who's making an outside to win run uh, through on goal for them to score. I think that's just, it's the sort of vision, execution, confidence that I'm not saying no one else in the championship can do it. We know that Dickie's very good with the ball at his feet. There are plenty of other good ball-playing centre-backs in the championship. But there's something about Tosin where I, I don't think he gets a huge amount of love. I don't think he gets a huge amount of recognition. But, you know, for Fulham, this represents one of the best bits of business they've ever done. Was it one and a half, two million quid they bought him for? I think he was one of their better performances in the Premier League last season. And he's clearly been sensational this season, again, without really breaking sweat. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in the Prem next season. Nico Williams I've been enjoying as well. He represented this Fulham side's swagger and confidence in the second mm. half where they knew they had their lead. It felt unlikely that Rovers were, were going to be able to do enough to, to upset the apple cart. Um, and they were really purring. You know, they were knocking it around. Lots of one-touch football. Uh, good stuff. And Nico Williams getting a bit carried away, trying one from, well, just inside the halfway line on the run as well on the dribble which is is not something you see that regularly and almost lobbing Kaminsky and it would have been just an unbelievable goal it was a bit Steve Sidwell at Ashton Gate-esque is probably the best uh, EFL comparison I can think of but they're just a very very good team and as you say Fulham uh, Blackburn rather there's no shame in this defeat or or really in their performance um, you just can't make that individual mistake so early on really and expect to, to get anything from the game they have got three home games in the next 10 days, Blackburn Rovers. So clearly, I'm pretty excited about where we're at in the season. And clearly, at times, I do get a bit over the top about how important I say games are, how important I say periods are. But you've got Millwall at home and then two teams in the bottom eight, Bristol City and Derby County at home as well for Blackburn. That's all in the next 10 days. And you have to say, all being well, it could be looking really good after those three games and really anything less than, what, six points? I think the fans will be feeling pretty disappointed. Preston 2, Bournemouth 1. Bournemouth, we've had our, our question marks over George recently, despite picking up, what was it, four wins in a row before this one. But it was another Bournemouth performance that wasn't particularly impressive. Didn't hit the level that we expect from this group of players and perhaps this manager. And this time they were punished and lost the game. Yeah, kind of a reverse as to what happened uh, against Stoke, where they went behind and kind of managed to, to come back and win it. Here they they took the lead through Jamal Lowe, um, and I think Bournemouth were aside, especially at the beginning of the season, who, even when they're not playing at their best, you probably expect them to um, basically to get the three points when they go ahead, because they are pretty defensively sound. Um, but things unraveled pretty quickly. Uh, Cameron Archer continues to look like um, one of the most inspired little signings in January um, in the EFL. You know, five goals, but all of them um, basically just offering something that Preston haven't had for a long time. Uh, even though Emma Reese um, has been fairly prolific this season, uh, having someone who is just a pure out-and-out goal scorer in the way that the Archer is and his poaching style of play um, gives them a completely different threat. And that's important. And it's interesting to note as well that even though Emma Reese is by no means out of form, um, it's it's Archer and Evans who are starting up, up top at the moment with with um, Jakobsen having to make do with, with coming off the bench as well. So a, a brilliant performance from Preston. Uh, deserved, as you say, Bournemouth's recent form is pretty concerning. Um, maybe not in terms of pure results, but they are the team at the moment who don't seem to be playing particularly well in victory uh, and therefore the the defeats and the dropping points it kind of feels like they're, they're going to happen it's one month to the day since we spoke about Bournemouth on the pod they had just lost to Boreham Wood in the FA Cup yes. I think you, you said you thought they were in a real rut which I agreed with I talked about the signings that they made and how everyone was focusing on those and said I don't think better players was what 
was needed in my opinion but I wanted to see better performances and I didn't necessarily think just buying a load of players was going to cause that and they won the next three after that didn't they none of them mm. hugely convincingly uh, you can kind of pick holes if you wanted to in all of those wins the fact is they did win them but then you know the performance that was punished against Preston that the mad thing is George the next three at home well the next three games are all at home against Peterborough against Derby County against Reading so Bournemouth will be heavy favourites to win all three if they do win all three, the questioning of their performance might look ridiculous. It's the sort of thing people will point and laugh and say, like, Lowell, you said Bournemouth weren't very good, but they're, they've won <laughs> seven and eight, and that they'd be on 70 points from 35 games if they win those three games. But this is the way we see things. Like, there's still merit in, in pointing out when we don't necessarily think performance levels are as high as maybe we expect or as high as they should be. Absolutely. This would be a very boring podcast if we just took all results at face value and didn't actually <laughs> delve into to what's going on behind it. And I think that... In, in a funny way, uh, when a team wins a few games on the trot, that's probably when they should have to stand up to the most scrutiny because you have to actually look into it and, and work out, is this a team, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of them this season, certainly um, Fulham, certainly Rotherham, Forest Green, where you look at the results, you look at the wins and you say, yeah, I mean, this this looks sustainable. It looks like if they carry on playing at this level, then they're going to continue to do this with Bournemouth in the three wins since um, Bournemouth. And I would argue probably... It, kind of getting worse with each game. The, the Birmingham performance was, was the best, which came right off the back of it. Um, there have been clear red flags as to whether or not this was going to continue and, and therefore for them to go and lose at Preston isn't that surprising. Um, it's good news for Scott Parker that um, that they host Peterborough next up. It, it would, you know, I can't really see how you can make a, a case for Peterborough getting anything out of that game, given the way they're playing at the moment. And for Bournemouth fans listening as well, we should mention, I know you hate it, but we should mention the referee decision where a quite blatant foul on on, on Philip Billing wasn't given. Uh, Parker seemed to suggest that the referee played advantage and didn't pull it back. I, I didn't see him making an advantage sign. It looked like he just kind of looked back at the incident and, and moved on because Bournemouth was still in, in possession. But, you know, that was clearly an incorrect decision and I think Scott Parker can have every right to feel aggrieved um, and he got a red card for for making that making that evident so you know, Bournemouth still you know, we're not sitting here saying Bournemouth are in a false position and Bournemouth aren't going to get promoted this season um, just that this result um, and maybe a continuation of the performances we've seen in recent weeks it's not a massive surprise to see them come unstuck Let's touch on the winners, Preston North End, because uh, it's another good day for them under Ryan Lowe. Uh, it's another absolutely, um, you know, a, a rocking deep dale, which is great to see. Um, they had their goalkeeper to thank, really, for, for it being 2-1 to them rather than 2-1 to Bournemouth because he made a sensational save at 1-1 just before their second goal. Uh, he's a player whose future is quite interesting, uh, Everson, because he, he's obviously uh, been Preston's number one for a while now. He's on loan from Leicester City. He'll be 25 at the start of next season and he's got a, a deal with Leicester for three more years. Now, of course, in terms of succession planning, you wonder what they're feeling here and whether they're keeping a close eye on him. Schmeichel is 35. Danny Ward, of course, their, their backup keeper, he's contracted for three more years as well. I wonder whether Leicester see Iverson or Ward as their next number one or neither and they might go and drop. 30 million on one it's a similar question with with Cameron Archer I'm really interested to know what happens to him this summer you know I've heard some rumors that Watkins is is well attracting interest and if Villa do sell him I would be fascinated to see if if they are brave enough to go that's fine we've got 
Cameron Archer and Keenan Davis, who offers something a bit different, but who's thriving as well at Forest, and we will give them a fair chance to prove that they could, between them, replace Watkins and his output and complement Ings. Um, more likely, they'll buy someone for 40 million quid because that's what Premier League clubs do. But, you know, from our point of view, we see these loanees, we love these loanees, we want to see them continuing to play football, even if it's at a higher level, and that'll be worth watching. And lastly, the big name on the Preston fans' lips is Bambo Diaby. His first championship start since the 11th of January 2020. That's two years and three months ago. And I think there'll be people listening to the pod who, who won't necessarily know the, the circumstances behind that. Diaby was playing for Barnsley uh, at that time. And he tested positive for hygienamine, which is a chemical found in weight loss drugs, uh, which is on the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of prohibited substances. That was in November 2019. He was charged with and then admitted a breach of the FA's anti-doping regulations. You know, he always maintained his innocence and that he hadn't knowingly taken a banned substance, but he picked up a two-year ban from playing football. He was not allowed to be employed or paid for being a footballer in that time. So he was released by Barnsley. Preston picked him up on a free once the once the um, ban ended, and this was his first start, and he, he probably man of the match. I watched some clips back this morning, having seen loads of Preston fans gushing about him, showed some really nice feet, showed a nice burst of pace to, to quash a few uh, attacks. He darted past Solanke on the ball a few times, a little bit of press resistance being shown, um, good bits of recovery defending and a few nice forward passes off both feet. So it was a really good, strong performance. Uh, and again, if you're picking up someone on, on a free after a two-year ban, they're going straight in and performing in a win against the, the team's, uh, the league's sort of second-place team. You have to say that's really, really positive stuff. So it's been a great few months, you say, for Preston. We spent the first few months of the season saying, oh, everyone seems a bit low there. Uh, so it's great to be able to see it turn around. What about the team in second place, having overtaken Bournemouth this weekend, George? Huddersfield Town. The gauntlet I laid down <laughs> a few weeks ago after they beat Bournemouth was, OK, you need to maintain this. Are you good enough to tuck away the bad teams? And since then, they've beaten Cardiff, they've beaten Birmingham and Peterborough. This one comfortably the most comfortable of the three, George, and they have <laughs> massively strengthened their position in doing so. They have, and the thing that kind of strikes me at the moment is is their strength and depth. Um, they've had injury issues um, for much of the season. Those players are coming back, and when you look at the, the players who scored the three goals, um, you know Tom Lee's uh, a centre back who doesn't score that many, but a player who's been out injured in recent weeks, and Daniel Sinani who who hadn't played in recent times either. Um, you have uh, Tino Angerin coming on for his debut, who is just another player who you know his quality, or his supposed quality, should add. Um, uh, you know, should be a big boost for them. Carol Iting, who was. You know their best player last season in his loan spell came back in January to, to to some fanfare and can't get into the side ahead of Johnny Russell, who another player who they brought in in January as well. You know, they're it, it felt like a team certainly at the beginning of the season who were fairly reliant on Sorba Thomas's delivery from set pieces, who then became fairly reliant on Danny Ward's purple patch in front of goal that was you know not something we'd necessarily come to expect from him in his in his career so far but suddenly now not only do you have quality running through the side but you also have a bench that is capable of coming on and changing the game as well and that is is massive with every game that goes by um they do look more and more impressive and it, it does feel to me like maybe the performances from earlier on in this run um were not good enough kind of on the basis of what i said when we're talking about bournemouth but the improvement in performances and the returning players from absences 
means that we have kind of have to upgrade where we see them and maybe they are just a stronger side now than they were a couple of months ago so um it does happen doesn't it sometimes you know a long run of defeats for example where perhaps if you look at the balance of play you haven't deserved to lose those games that can sometimes instead of being like well that won't last forever occasionally that can impact so much on the confidence of the team that then the performances do drop off as well and the bad results continue it happens the other way around I suppose too you you, you might nick a couple of fairly fortunate results and let's say the confidence that that brings you can then improve your own performance level because there's even more buy-in with the coach there's even more confidence in what you and your teammates around you are doing I think that's what we're seeing with with Bournemouth and Corberan I mean he's like He's just an absolute puppet master at the moment. It feels like every bit of rotation that he does works. It feels like every bit of every little tweak in game he does works. Clearly such a football thinker, perhaps no surprise, having been working under Bielsa for a few years. And now with the squad, with the, the circumstances, the conditions and the buy-in from the fan base and the players that he he probably didn't have last season, um, showing what a talented manager he is. They've only conceded three goals in their last nine games. Huddersfield, which is always going to get you where you need to be. Uh, and the next few weeks are doubly exciting, really. They've got Forest tonight in the FA Cup. Liverpool waiting the victors, a home tie against Liverpool in the sixth round. Uh, that's the last eight, of course. I can't wait for that game tonight. And then their next league games will be fascinating as well because they have had it easy-ish, haven't they, in the last few weeks since beating Fulham. But they've got West Brom away, Millwall away, Bournemouth at home. Next three for Huddersfield. It'll be interesting to check in and see where they're at after those three games. Off the field, um, there's been a bit of uh, difficulty with the current owner. Dean Hodgkinson, whose well, many, several of his businesses went into administration in November. He's been absent from Huddersfield since then. Uh, the former owner, current 25% owner, Dean Hoyle, um, he's taken the reign kind of financially and in the day-to-day -day running the club in, in that period. And he's in discussions about acquiring the entirety of his shares uh, back again. So Dean Hoyle stepped down and sold a big chunk of the club to Phil Hodgkinson because he was very ill for a period, but he's now uh, reportedly you know, fully healthy again and, and willing to take the club back. So, you know, I call it what it is. It's, it's kind of good luck for the club because it could have been a pretty sticky situation. Obviously, with Phil Hodgkinson's uh, businesses going into administration and cash flow potentially being an issue, Dean Hoyle, therefore, something of a, a guardian angel. And it's great to see because, you know, I mean, the, the emotion that he showed and, and how much it meant to him when they won promotion with him uh, as the owner and chairman, you could see how important it was. So it's nice to see him stepping into the breach. There was a report in the Daily Mail that said he was thinking of moving it on straight away and selling it straight away. That was quite quickly uh, rebuffed in the Huddersfield Examiner and I would absolutely trust their reporting over the Daily Mail's reporting. So uh, hopefully all good on that front. Big winners, George, at QPR this weekend were Cardiff City. Uh, they won 2-1 from behind this one. Ruben Colwell with a sumptuous free kick to win it. He's provided those Cardiff City away fans with plenty of joy this season with the winning goal at Forest earlier in the campaign and now the winner at QPR. It was uh, another game with some uh, refereeing controversy. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, more ticks in the box for Steve Morrison and more head scratching for Mark Warburton, you'd say. Yeah, Steve Morrison, who um, has been given a contract until the end of, of next season. So, you know, at least he's in a position now where he is uh, no longer trying to basically perform to, to get the job um, there. It, it feels like a very, very good appointment given what he's done so far. And he certainly earned it. As we've all, as I keep saying, the, the, the most impressive part of it, in my opinion, is the way that he's integrated the, the young players. Um, I think so often, especially when you're... Um, 
you've only got a contract until the end of the season. I think often the reason why managers are reluctant to play um, young players is because they're aware that if the results don't go their way, um, then they're the ones who are going to pay for it. And realistically, it's such a fickle game that if you're the manager who bloods a, a 17, 18-year-old, even if it works, you're probably not going to be the manager that actually um, is going to be there in the three or four years later when he's at his peak to to, to use it. So but it, clearly Morrison's worked with these players before uh, and it's working incredibly well. And Isaac Davis, a player who he seems to kind of bring in and out of the sides um, fairly regularly, comes off the bench and scores the first goal. It, it, it tends to be... Um, a senior player and a younger player playing up front for Cardiff. Um, normally it's Hugill because Piazza is still yet to make a start despite fairly regularly coming off the bench. Um, and then it's either Colwell or Davis uh, or Mark Harris playing alongside him. So um, that's the way that he likes to set it up and it works pretty well. Um, he, you know, when previewing his games, um, Morrison is probably the most unpredictable manager in terms of, of um of team selection, it was the case again with him selecting Alfie, Alfie Doughty to play ahead of Joel Baggin, who'd scored three in his last four from left back or left wing back um, coming into the game and then gets an assist when he comes on. For QPR, though, it's um, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty difficult to to kind of make a case for how they're going to turn this around. Uh, I think it's too simplistic to point at the return of, of Ilya and the kind of problems it's brought it does maybe feel like possibly QPR a better side when Willock is is that creative 10 uh, behind the striker without necessarily there being room for two of them to play fairly similar roles they're obviously very different players but in terms of uh, when Chair was, was at AFCON and everything was going through Willock that was when QPR were probably at their best as a team uh, this season and it's feeling a little bit crowded in there at the moment uh, the Jeff Hendricks signing hasn't gone particularly to plan he hasn't really impressed in midfield so far uh, losing Seni Dieng has been a big blow as well um, and I think they're just lacking a bit of belief at the moment it, it felt like they were a, a pretty fearless side for the first part of the campaign, but you know, going ahead here, conceding twice, um, it, they just don't feel to me like a team who know how to win at the moment, and and that is a big blow. I think Stephanie Hansen being out of this one um, probably didn't help them in their in their attempts to be streetwise and manage the game. Um, but yeah, QPR fans, I think, have every right to feel pretty frustrated that just a couple of weeks ago they looked, in my view, to be the, the most likely team to take on Bournemouth for for second position. And now they, you know, they're looking like a. It's 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 becoming an outside chance um, that they even finish in the top six. Yeah, two of the teams who are chasing them down, Middlesbrough and Luton, went head to head on Saturday at the Riverside. Of course, two two teams that had played Premier League teams in midweek, Borough beating Spurs uh, in extra time on Tuesday night, and then Luton taking Chelsea all the way uh, to a three-two defeat. Uh, having been ahead twice at the Kenny on Wednesday. So they'd both impressed, and I guess the concern was, how tired are they? Um, Borough, they they controlled the start of this game. Really good first hour, uh, half hour for, for Borough, uh, during which they won and scored a penalty and took the lead. Uh, Luton did come back into it, though. You know, certainly from from the first 15 minutes after, after half-time, I'd say they were somewhat in the ascendancy. Borough just lost a little bit of control, which is to be expected. It's un, it's unusual to control a full 90 at championship level for any team, really. Um, but Luton didn't get the goal, you know, at that time where where they probably put a bit more pressure on and had a few more shots. So Borough's second goal, um, nicely taken from Watmore. But I think the Fortunate. emergency loan goalkeeper, Alex Palmer, uh, on loan from West Brom, someone who's impressed uh, on loan in League Two with Plymouth, on loan in League One with Lincoln City. Um, but this was his first championship start, having having signed the day before. 
be very disappointed to let that one in at his near post, I would have thought. So uh, a good win for, for Borough. Luton did pull one back right at the end, but only a consolation. Uh, kind of impressed with both sides in a, in a way here. Uh, Johnny Housen was the general in midfield. Isaiah Jones was excellent as ever. And it's just vintage Wilder at the moment. He's just fr- he's just swapping that front two. Um, Balogun and Watmore and Spora and uh, Connolly uh, mostly being swapped. Of course, Coburn, the youngster, scored the winner in midweek as well. Otherwise, he's not really changing the rest of the team. And I suppose that's excellent for consistency of performance, which is absolutely what we've seen for Borough under Wilder, but I am a little bit concerned about the schedule, um, especially with the game against Chelsea in the Cup to come and the ability for those, really those nine players behind the strikers to sort of keep it up at that same level because of the drop-off um, between the centre-backs and, you know, as much as we love Sol Bamba, Sol Bamba or uh, the midfielders, you know, Saliki started a game and looked miles off it as well. So that would be something to watch out for, for Borough, but so far so good. I just want to bring up my favourite local reporter headline of the season, which came on Friday. The headline is... Where's my sausages? Chris Wilder's message to Josh Coburn. And the start of the article says, Middlesbrough match winner Josh Coburn brought home the bacon on Tuesday night. Now his manager wants him to turn up with the sausages too. The 19-year-old striker has spent his entire life living in North Yorkshire with his parents running a butcher's shop in Richmond. And Borough boss Chris Wilder admits he is repeatedly asking the Academy product to bring him in some meat. He's a humble young man, said the borough manager ahead of this afternoon's home game with Luton Town. His parents have got a butcher shop in Richmond. I keep saying to him, where's my sausages? And he keeps on saying he's forgotten to bring them in. I've reminded him about it again this week. Absolutely sensational stuff. True, A true joy, that. A true joy. George Hull lost 2-0 at home to West Brom. A better day for Baggies and a first win for Steve Bruce. A much better day. And... and- an essential day as well, because um, even though it's now definitely an outside chance, um, it's a win that that will give West Brom. Well, it just keeps their season alive. Basically, it gives them some belief that they that they can feasibly um, turn it around. Carlin Grant, a player who, you know, I, I still think he has all the minerals to be a prolific goal scorer. It kind of surprises me that. Um, he has been so uh, well. He's been virtually ever present in a side who've been so wasteful in front of goal. Um, and two goals here. They switched to a front two. You know, West Brom have been playing generally with a front three this season. Uh, but it was Robinson and Grant as the two orthodox strikers, with Furlong and Townsend as the as the as the wing backs. And as soon as you kind of see the way they're set up with Garden Hitman and Mauer either side of Livermore, it, it looks to me like a a shape that suits the personnel better than kind of shoehorning certain players. I mean, I know that Colin Grant is, has often played some of his best football off the left-hand side, but I think playing in a front two should suit him. And I think especially when Daryl DK comes back in, um, it's going to be interesting to see them with that option as well, whilst Townsend and Furlong should be two great attacking outlets for, for West Brom uh, with their with their width. And it fits into the, the back three that obviously they've been recruiting for. Um, so yeah, a way, way better um, performance. They've been due... A win. Uh, it wasn't without some defensive frailties. You know, Hull created uh, a, f- a few chances of their own as well. I'm a fairly wasteful in front of goal, um, but no one can begrudge the Bruce and West Brom uh, of this win. Big results down at the bottom, George. We'll start with Derby 2, Barnsley 0. Barnsley had moved above Derby uh, in the games leading up to this one, but now it's it's Derby another point ahead of them, having played two games more, we should say. It was, it was a massive game and the pressure was all on Derby County and they stood up to it in some style as well. Yeah, they did in a way that, that I guess surprised me. I, I think we're seeing how important Tom Lawrence is to Derby. Um, you know, Derby's 
poor a run came at a time where Lawrence was out of the side due to suspe- suspension uh, and he played a, a pretty big part in this in this win over Barnsley as well um the first goal was liquid football wasn't it really mm. with, with Lawrence playing it into to Luke Plange who then sets up Morrison for a very very cute finish uh and this is you know I guess the Ravel Morrison that we've all been hoping would turn up he was um you know, both goals full of quality. He kind of ran the show in that number 10 role. He's a player who I wouldn't say is disappointed here for, for Derby so far this season, but certainly, um, you know, has his performances have, haven't meant that he's been a regular starter. Um, and that has been probably a bit of a surprise given uh, the talent we know that he has. It, it would have felt to me like if he was going to um, stay at Derby for a prolonged period of time, which he has, uh, and, you know, he, he seemingly there haven't been any issues with his behaviour or his attitude at all. Um, there seems no reason why he shouldn't be one of their one of their best players. And that was, we saw it for the first time in a while there. Bielik playing very well um, in that holding role. He obviously improves them massively. Um, and then uh, Cashin, you know, we, we, said, we said many times this season that when it's been Davis and Stearman, they've looked very solid at the back. Um, but with Cashin coming in, playing on the left-hand side of the of the two, he was he was very good again, which hasn't always been the case this season. But in the last couple of games, he's starting to look like the latest very good Derby prospect, young player who's come through and and is deserving of their place uh, in the team. So to to off the back of what was a really poor run for Derby, um, taking on a Barnsley side who have come out of their own poor run and put together a couple of win- wins. Um, it, it would have felt like had Barnsley have won this one, um, Derby's chances of survival would have taken a massive hit, um, both, I think, just mentally and also in terms of, of, of giving up three points to one of the other teams trying to get out of the mess. But now it, it feels like a, a, a turning point, I guess, off the back of three defeats in a row. The, the quest tweeting of the clip of the Ravel Morrison goal, the first one, the little lifter, uh, has 1.8 million views. And I'd love to know how many views it would have had, let's say, Tom Lawrence had finished it off rather than Ravel Morrison. Like, what's the what's the multiplier that Ravel Morrison doing that gives to a clip like that? I think quite a large one because it's, just, it's amazing how much someone like him captures the imagination, right? You know, he's, he's, A-list, he's an A-list footballer for a certain reason that is... Um, you know, it's because of his reputation, and I think people people have probably seen less of Ravel Morrison um, and know so much about him. You know, the, the trade off there is massive. So seeing him do something good is always going to capture the imagination. I would argue. Thoughtful analysis, thank you. Um, okay. Wayne Rooney said the administrators have told him a preferred bidder for the club will, will be in place this week. Uh, the reason we haven't done a huge amount of updating on this is because I've just been so frustrated about the amount of times the administrators seems to have said that a preferred bidder being named is imminent. Um, that that should help problems start to uh, dissipate. But uh, until then, it, it's still. You know, the club's still being sort of held on on the precipice and uh, hopefully we'll see that this week. We should do because I think a lot of the barriers to to um, to a new owner have been removed. So uh, that is something to keep an eye on. The result made the relegation battle more interesting, coupled with the fact that Reading lost at home to Millwall. Uh, it wasn't a game in which loads happened, but Millwall have won five in a row now and it was probably the most predictable goal and goal scorer of the weekend. Reading had conceded the most set-piece goals in the league by miles. And Mill will have everyone's favourite massive centre-back, Jake Cooper, um, formerly of Reading FC, and, well, although he did play probably 40-odd games for their senior team, 
uh, clearly not backed to the point that Millwall have backed him to the point where he's a very good defender at championship level. So when Jedley Wallace floated in a corner to the back stick, there was Jake Cooper to, to smash home a header, his third goal in three games. A really nice nod to former academy manager Eamon Dolan, the late, great Eamon Dolan, who did unbelievable things for Reading and for the young players who came through Reading at the time where he was academy manager, including Jake Cooper. In fact, there were four former Royals in, in Millwall's squad, so it always felt like one of them might have a say here, but a really nice nod to Eamon Dolan, Jake, uh, pointing up at the stand which bears his name. Uh, in the absence of a ton of other talking points from this game, let me just bring up the fact that Jed Wallace is going under the radar, George. And I, I say that because... He missed five games with injury uh, around the turn of the year and in January. Well, that's the first time that he's missed that amount of games in five years through injury. His availability has been unbelievable. His, uh, uh, his ability to avoid injuries and stay fit and to stay performing at a high level have been sensational over the last few years in this league that everyone calls the most ridiculous league in the world, you know, physically and mentally for, for many people. And I think because of that and because he's so established now, that it's, he's not new and shiny and exciting to talk about. He is going a bit under the radar still. He's got six goals and nine assists in 25 starts this season. Um, he's not a million miles away from, from nicking a double-double, even having missed those games. It's actually his best season so far in terms of goals and assists per 90. And we should say, you know, he takes the set pieces, which my favourite large son, Jake Cooper, nods in. Um, but six goals, nine assists, 15 goal contributions for one of the lowest scoring teams in the league. Uh, and actually, as I say, in terms of output per 90, in terms of goals and assists, his best season so far. Anyone thinking that Jed Wallace might have dropped off this season, think again. Uh, and of course, out of contract in the summer, free agent this summer. Uh, if he was an NBA player, there'd be people saying, he's going to get paid. <laughs> That's what they'd be saying if he was an NBA player. Um, it feels like quite a good time to plug our live show actually not the top 20 live on the 19th of May at 7pm at the Leicester Square Theatre you can buy tickets on their website George a couple more wins in the championship I really enjoyed watching Swansea beating Coventry 3-1 some great goals in here lovely goals yes great goals and I'm, I'm enjoying just watching Swansea being quite a good functional football team because when Russell Martin's sides are quite good functional football teams they are pretty fun to watch and that was uh, certainly the case here. I think we're starting to see, and it, it might be a bit kind of not reductive, but, but whether or not it's anything to do with the change in, in back, backroom stuff at Swansea, but we're starting to see a little bit less extreme Swansea, I would argue. Um, here against Coventry, they, I mean, part of this is going to be game state, but they only had 52% possession. Uh, it was only 530 attempted passes, which by, for, for them is low. I don't think there's any chance we're going to see a, a change of the possession style, but possibly um, you know, this was a, a, a bit of a shift and it was much more effective in terms of creating chances. Um, I'm sure going Fisher, ahead in the first half and playing against a team who are quite happy knocking it around probably massage those a little bit as well. It will do. It will do. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um but I, I, it's something I'm going to look out for, basically, because there would be a there would be an understandable reason for a, a, a playing style shift now that um, Luke Williams is no longer um, a a big part of the co well he's not part of the coaching setup at all, let alone a, a big part. Um, but yeah, they were very good. Um, it's been a great week for them after beating Baggies away from home and then and then beating Coventry. Um, you know, if you if you want to measure a side by the teams that they beat, then then you know even though Coventry and West Brom both look like they're going to miss out on 
on the top six. They're certainly top half teams with with quality players as well. Um, and I think for the for the project at Swansea going forward, um, a good end to the season is pretty important. Um, Michael Obafemi's recent form is a massive plus for Swansea as well. You know, he is a player who you know, came in with a fairly big reputation and was probably expected to be the the star attacking signing over Joel Peru, but Peru's a good early start meant that he didn't really get a game. And and you know, let's not forget that Obafemi is a he's a Swansea player. He's not on loan from Southampton. They bought him for a couple of million quid as a as a twenty one year old who hadn't played uh a great deal of, of football apart from substitute appearances for, for Southampton. But he's certainly someone who his ceiling is very high and um, and his, his form at the moment will be, um, you know, for, for Swansea to have both him and Piru, both a very good age and both with a very different skill set um, as their attacking options is, is now looking pretty strong. Lovely little wedge pass from Fisher, the goalkeeper, just precise enough to go over the head of the of the central midfielder onto the foot of Flynn Downs in stride to, to set them on their way for that second goal. Absolutely loved it. Grimes' assist was beautiful for the third. The one-touch football in the build-up to the first goal. Great stuff. We want to see more of that for sure. At Bristol City 1, Birmingham 2. For Blues, this was a case of let me see that chung. That chung, 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 chung. Nice. Tahith has been out for months. We've been desperate to see him again because in the first six weeks of the season, he was so exciting. Birmingham was setting up at that time looking very solid and Chong was the one. Chong was the difference maker. Chong was the spark. He was carrying the ball up the pitch. He had the skill to beat a man, um, bringing other players into play. Bit of a goal threat as well, albeit Saturday was his first ever senior goal, which seemed somewhat of a surprise because he's someone who, in I guess fairly limited minutes and senior senior starts has impressed whenever he's played so it was great to see him starting it was great to see him give Birmingham the lead running into space on the left hand side cutting inside his defender with some nice nice trickery and then firing into the far corner and Bristol City really just started this game so poorly and then there was a, a Blues fan um, in the away end who was very much enjoying his day that's for sure uh, who who tweeted me to say that that you know he basically thanked Nigel Pearson for, for Birmingham's three points here because the way that they set up with a, a young forward in Sam Bell playing right back, not for the first time, um, just so exposed, such a narrow midfield and no protection for this guy who's A, inexperienced, B, playing out of position and having Chong running at him was not ideal. So he got hauled off at half time. Damage was already done because uh, another youngster for Birmingham, Nico Gordon, Scoring his first senior goal, Birmingham born and bred, very versatile defender. I think he's played in midfield as well in the academy. Someone that I hope we'll see some more of, perhaps on loan next season if if Blues do bring in some more defensive reinforcements. Uh, A very, very good day out for those Blues fans. Janino Bakuna was compared to Clarence Seedorf in his prime by Rob uh, (laughs) over the weekend, which is good. No clean sheet for Bristol City in, in 15 games. It's just causing them massive problems isn't it because although Semenyo again sparkling there's only so much you can do when you can see one two three goals every single game last but not least George Stoke nil Blackpool won this game was settled by a lovely goal from Blackpool unselfish play from Yates to slip in Josh Bowler we often talk over we often talk about players making the leap right just jumping to a much higher performance level uh, and and improving themselves. I mean, Josh Bowler's taken a rocket, hasn't he, in 2022 so far? <laughs> he has. It's an interesting one, interesting one with Bowler because he is one of those players who a lot of people have been talking about 
basically all season. In the first half of the season, we had um, a few opposition fans who saw Bowler playing against them and saying how impressive he was. We had Blackpool fans starting to say that his his performances were improving. And it's it's only when suddenly a player goes on a mad scoring spree that everyone sits up and and gives him the credit. I, I think he, um, you know, he's added goals to his game, which is so important. But his ball carrying and his kind of aggressive um, on ball style has been um, a big part of Blackpool's success this season. And it was again an, an inspired signing from a a club who recruit very well. Um, he is yeah, he's an exciting talent and whether or not he can continue this this rate of goal scoring, um, possibly not. It's quite handy for Blackpool that it's come at a time where uh, Lavery, Yates and, and Medine, I mean, Medine's never particularly prolific, but two players in Yates and, and Lavery who've had their own um, goal scoring spurts this season. Um, you know, Bowler's coming in and he's doing the business at the moment. And you know that's the key for me about this Blackpool side is that they, they are another who have so many different ways to hurt you you know they're not an out and out attacking side necessarily but certainly in terms of um the way that they're set up um it you know it's a it's it's a under neil critchley they are incredibly solid and consistent and and also uh are a team who are where individuals flourish and, and bowlers are one at the moment doing so great result great win for blackpool stoke fans just at rock bottom, I think it's fair to say, and wondering what happens next. Michael O'Neill was very down in his post-match interview. Um, you know, we know that they're not averse to changing the manager, and it's up to O'Neill to show, with what ten or so games to go, that that he's worthy of leading this team next season. Because the the drop off has been, I mean, stark and concerning. Uh, Chef United Forest one one a draw this one on Friday night, but such an entertaining game. I just wanted to mention it, it was really really good stuff live on Sky and I was impressed with Forrest's away performance actually for large parts of this game uh, despite Billy Sharp putting Sheffield United ahead uh, I thought Forrest had, had acquitted themselves very well uh, at Bramall Lane um, Ryan Yates just scores big goals doesn't he just just seems to want it more um, and certainly wanted it a lot and then headed it into the corner that rhubarb and custard uh, Forrest away kit they, they always seem to score big late goals in it um, and uh, the other nice stat here was that Billy Sharp scored against uh, Brennan Johnson's team uh, with Brennan Johnson in the starting lineup in 2022, the year of our Lord 2022. Uh, and uh, David Johnson, Brennan's dad, scored against him as well in 2005. Um, that was tweeted out by a, uh, an excellent Blades account whose name I forget. And Billy replied saying, just basically confirms that I'm old. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, in League One, wow, what a weekend at the top of it. George Rotherham hosted MK Dons. MK had won seven of their last nine away from home. Rotherham had kept nine clean sheets in ten games. MK Don down to ten men and conceded a penalty. Scored in the first half. One nil down to the runaway league leaders. Or not. Two one winners, MK Dons. There's something special happening. Yeah, what incredible result an incredible um comeback from him from mk against a side in rotherham who probably they're probably the team in the whole efl that you would uh, hand a one goal lead to at home against 10 men um it was kind of the definition of a smash and grab mk dons had four shots in the game uh two of them were the goals from darling and from moisa a very very um out of character mistake from Dan Barlasa, um, which gifted possession back to MK for the second goal, where he kind of dallied in possession with his back to goal and and um and went down, I think, looking for a foul, but was just dispossessed. And um yeah, I mean for MK there there wasn't a great deal in the performance um to 
necessarily get overly excited about, apart from the fact that they they managed to be clinical in front of goal and, and not concede any more when protecting a lead um, for half an hour against ten men. Um, sorry, with ten men against against the best team in the division. Um, it feels like Rotherham uh, are not necessarily playing at their best. We look at their recent performances. You know, they drew nil nil away at Shrewsbury in the week. They had a one nil win over Plymouth last Saturday, where by no means did they play particularly well. Um, there's the one-all draw at home to Wigan as well. Uh, the 2-0 win over, over Morecambe is probably the only game in, in that last five matches where they've justified um, the high expectations that we have of them. But uh, but they've, you know, again, they've got so many points on the board. Maybe we're, we're getting to a stage where MK can start to wonder if they can, um, if, you know, not quite clearly they're in the race for the top two, but whether or not they can chase down both sides. Um, and this performance and well this result certainly gives them the chance but it's still going to be uh, pretty difficult I think for them to do it Harry Darling catching the eye at the moment isn't he uh, at the heart of the defence for MK not just defending well uh, in this excellent MK defence but scoring goals as he did great header into the far corner good pass through the ball as we know and, and carrying it into midfield and, and, and starting attacks that way too uh, enjoyed the, the high press, the energy of Kasumu for the second goal as well to set up Issa. Eight wins and two draws in their last 10 away games. I'd be pretty surprised if there's any team that has got a better record than that in a chunk of 10 away games um, since we've been doing the pod, let's say, for the last six years. So if your team won nine or 10 out of 10 away games ever in the last six years, let me know. Paul Warren kind of foresaw this, didn't he? He spoke last week about... Uh, performances not quite being there and, and actually his Rotherham side nicking wins. It felt almost like overly honest at the time because, you know, it felt like he was almost that it might hurt his team's confidence if he was saying like, by the way, we're not playing that well. And I, I do feel like we're kind of just nicking these um, and not dominating as much as the results suggested. I suppose on, on the other side of the coin, his calming influence and his his honesty, basically, the way that he manages his squads emotionally as much as anything, I think should help to avoid any overreaction, any hysteria here at this defeat. But it's a test. It's a hurdle for them to get over. Uh, every team has them and when they're going for the title. Uh, Wigan closed the gap on, on Rotherham, didn't they? Um, you wonder whether they would have almost preferred... Rotherham to win so that their gap to third was lengthened rather than their gap to first shortened. Uh, but after a 3-0 defeat at home to Sunderland last weekend, they responded well, didn't they? Two wins to nil in the space of a week. Fleetwood and Wimbledon dispatched. 1-0 might not look like Wimbledon were dispatched, particularly because there was a hint of of Will Keane's you know, foot potentially being offside as he chased in a, a shot that was parried and, and fired in the rebound. But realistically, Wigan battered Wimbledon here. You know, that goal was was in the first half and one never knows, but I suspect had that been ruled out rather than given, uh, Wigan would have found a way to, to score anyway. They, they really were so much stronger than Wimbledon here um, and, and comfortable winners. So bigger tests on the horizon for Wigan. It's been two kind home games for them. Um, they've got MK Dons away next weekend. I cannot wait for that one. Um, it's going to be an absolute cracker. As for Wimbledon, well, again, there's no shame in losing away at Wigan, but 16 without a win now. The mad thing is, George, with Wimbledon, they were 17th when the run started and they were only six points above the relegation zone at that time. Six points above it. 16 winless games later, they're still two points above it. Um, yeah, mad. I mean, that really reflects how how difficult those teams at the bottom are finding it to pick up points. It's the only thing so far that's, that's positive for Wimbledon. They really need to start finding some wins. Uh, that's for sure. Four points back from Milton Keynes is Oxford United who were 4-1 up at Burton. No, 4-0 up, 4-1 up at home to Burton by half-time here and then put the brakes on 
which was a bit of a shame. Uh, you've now scored nine more goals than anyone else in the division. And there's one thing we knew about Carl Robinson was that his Oxford teams were always going to play front foot attacking football with young players being blooded. I certainly didn't predict that he would switch formation to get two strikers in the mix, but that decision certainly paying off at the moment with Bulldog complimenting Taylor very nicely indeed. Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, he's. It was. I remember talking to you after the the transfer window slammed shut, and um, yeah, and I was pr- pretty disappointed that Oxford hadn't signed a striker. Turns out we probably couldn't have got a striker as good as Sam Bulldock um, if we'd if we'd uh, gone to a club or tried to get a loanie or, or whatever. He's been unbelievably good since he's come in, and I think he complements Matt Taylor very well in a, in a front two where both, you know. Taylor is is clearly a penalty box striker, but he does a lot um, otherwise. You know his his work rate is very high, whereas Bulldog is someone who you can look to play the ball into and play off as well, whilst also offering that goal scoring threat too. Um, it's yeah, I, mean, I think he's surpassed all expectations in terms of of how quickly he scored the goals that he has. And Oxford have um, you know setting up in this in this new formation with a front two, which we basically haven't seen Carl Robinson do in his four years at the club um the transition has been very quick especially when you consider you've got kieran brown playing uh, left side of the three who only came in in january as well um i think because of the amount of, of quality that oxford have in their side you know a midfield duo of of herbie kane and um and Cameron brown might not have the defensive um solidity that you would want and that is my you know that's why there are so many goals in our game it's more than any other reason is is because there isn't a defensive midfielder on the pitch even if um both Kane and and Brannigan are fairly combative it's not really their strength and it's not really their job um and that is my concern if and when Oxford are in the playoffs um that the better teams might capitalize on that but certainly is a you know in terms of goal scoring in terms of of um enjoyment uh, it's an absolute pleasure to watch at the moment. Lincoln beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-1. So Lincoln side that had lost three games in a row, two of them at home to teams in the relegation zone. You can see why the Lincoln fans might have headed to Sinsel Bank with sort of yeah worried about this one because Wednesday they'd won three in a row and the much vaunted Wednesday side recently, right? Picking up wins, blowing teams away. But no. Lincoln 3-1 winners, they scored an early goal. Uh, Wednesday actually did pretty well to work their way back into the game and level before half-time. Uh, but Lincoln pulled clear as well, George. It kind of just continued to scratch our heads. Both when Lincoln are really bad, we scratch our heads about why they're really bad. And then when they put in performances like this, you wonder how on earth they're in that bottom chunk of teams, that bottom, what, eight of the division. Because they certainly have the highest sort of best performance level out of that group right we just don't see it very often for for those of for those Lincoln fans who listened to the betting show and heard you predict a, a Sheffield Wednesday win this was a case of how do you like them apples <laughs> it's quite funny someone on the on the NTT 20 squad very kindly said that I called it because I mentioned that um when last time I tipped Lincoln at home they t- they, they came out of the blocks from a completely different side against Oxford so I guess very very nice to say that I called it by um by tipping against them um but it was yeah I mean they were they were brilliant again you know that it's it's frustrating I guess because sometimes Lincoln show what this team is capable of and what they should be capable of because as, as we often say, the team on paper. And when you consider that, in my opinion, this is probably the first season in his managerial career where you can say that Michael Appleton is, is underperforming expectations and for no circumstantial off-field reason. It, 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 
it doesn't make much sense to me. Um, I think the best thing that can happen for Lincoln between now and the end of the season is to continue putting in performances like that, which will um, get the fan base back um, aligned with with the manager and the owner. Um, because I think even though there have been some murmurings of discontent amongst Lincoln fans around the job that Michael Appleton is doing, um, I think they're quite reluctant. If that, you know, after what happened last season, I don't think anyone. Um, I think it's one of those cases where a turnaround in fortune and form would, would see any dissenting voices. Um, quiet and, and probably change their um, their minds pretty quickly which in football is rare because normally when someone makes up their mind about manager um it, it's pretty hard to get them to admit that they were wrong but i'm not sure that's the case with lincoln they were great here um i think having gone one and up and then conceding to for to a one all a, a brilliant run from marvin johnson for the assist for side of Berahino. um the Lincoln that we've seen for, for long parts of this season, and especially in recent weeks, uh, once they squander a lead, are, are normally not the best at, at coming back and uh, and getting the three points. But they did so um, in style. And uh, it's a big result because they were, again, before this game, looking like they could drift into the relegation places. And these three points, I think, again, pushes them just about out of danger for the time being. But, you know, another couple of defeats, I'm sure it'll be squeaky bum time again. So in League One, we've got like a top 11. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, but there's now a, a six-point gap between Bolton in 11th and Accrington in 12th. And I think in general, that's a quite a good sort of line to draw because as we know, Bolton, Portsmouth, Ipswich in 10th, uh, 11th and 9th, they're the ones who are putting a lot of pressure on, picking up a lot of points, but the teams above them are still doing very well. Interestingly, this weekend, or last weekend, uh, in the top 11, Rotherham lost, obviously, to third place Milton Keynes. Sheffield Wednesday lost. We just mentioned that somewhat surprisingly to Lincoln. Everyone else won, apart from Sunderland, who drew away at Charlton. The better side in that game, nil all draw, couldn't quite finish their chances. You know, not not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination, but feels worse because everyone else won, including Wiccan Wanderers. Uh, it was not the, the most um, stylish performance. It wasn't the most convincing win, to be honest with you. Um, and Lewis Wing scored two. They weren't the most dramatic um, uh, Lewis wing pings, were they? But some lovely finishes as well. Nice to see him contributing to Wickham wins, having joined in January. The, the, the big story, George, was that it was Gareth Ainsworth's 500th match in charge of Wickham Wanderers uh, when he and his assistant Dobbo took over as caretakers with the chairboys. They, were f- they had four points from seven games in League Two. They were right in the relegation places in League One, uh, in League Two, sorry. They have been on some journey, haven't they, Wiccan Wanderers? And realistically, almost all thanks to Gareth Ainsworth and his assistant Richard Dobson. It's it's one of the great stories and it's a nice time to mark it. Yeah, it is. Um, amazing what they've done. And they're kind of, you know, we often talk about decisions that are being made in terms of management. And I think um, every EFL club, every League Two club, or League One club should be looking to appoint a Gareth Ainsworth, someone who will... Um, basically take a club on their upward trajectory um will build a club in their positive character um will galvanize a community i mean it's it's amazing what he's done um for a guy who you know was obviously a very popular player um at most places that he went to um you know he he was a known he was known to be this kind of positive guy that has had such an amazing influence and I think there's been a lot of snobbery about him in the past. Uh, I think it's, he's one of those managers again where, um, 
the feeling seems to be, yeah, he's done a great job, but I wouldn't want him at my club. Um, and that is probably the reason why we haven't been able to keep hold of him for so long. Um, so, yeah, being unfashionable uh, has suited them. Um, you only have to think back to a couple of years ago when he was being linked. Oh, no, it was more recently than that. It was um, after Parkey left, wasn't it? Sunderland, when he was being linked to the to the Sunderland job and Sunderland fans were not having it at all. Well, I reckon if he'd got that job, Sunderland wouldn't be in League One anymore. Quite comfortably, my moment of the season on EFL on Quest came when discussing Gareth Ainsworth uh, on the show on Saturday night. And Ian Holloway, who managed him at QPR, who knows him very, very well, is incredibly fond of him, was summing up what makes him so special, came out with one of the most remarkable, genuinely (laughs) deep lines I think I've ever, ever heard. His personality is all about believing and being positive and and he... He, his team, the biggest credit I can give him is he would make you believe that you're alive even if you were dead. I'm not 100% sure Ollie himself knew where he was going when he started that sentence, <laughs> but I'm glad he went where he did. Literal chills sitting next to him in this studio there uh, and a, a really, really nice thing to say to sum up Gareth Ainsworth and, and why he has been able to get so much with so few resources compared to so many other managers in the EFL, uh, out of Wiccan Wanderers and the players that he's had at his disposal uh, over the last decade or so. 500 games up for Gaz Ainsworth. Magnificent stuff. Argyle beat Morecambe 2-0. We keep rattling through these winning teams in League One because it's so exciting at the moment in the playoff picture and the autos now too. Uh, the outside central midfielders, uh, Broom and Mayer, that is with Houghton sitting in between them. Uh, they're the ones who, who made the difference today. They've got a lovely role, I must say, in that 3-5-2. Uh, license to roam, license to get forward at any opportunity. We, we spoke, or we have spoken a, a number of times about how Argyle like to attack with six, really. Um, they've got the back three, and they've got Houghton sitting in front, and then the wing-backs, and the two attacking midfielders, uh, and two strikers as well, all attacking. And Broom and Mayer were, were just causing problems for Morecambe uh, in terms of drifting out wide, combining with the wing-backs and delivering. Broom's cross was headed home by Grant, the left wing-back. Seven goals for him this season a great return from that position and then the second goal Mayer in that left-hand channel where he loves to operate curling in a ball which Hardy just about flicked I think with his with one or two strands of hair uh, and claimed <laughs> that one an unhappy return for Derek Adams to, to home park of course where he used to manage but big for Argyle really you know an expected result you'd say but when you're in the playoff picture uh, and you suffer back-to-back defeats like they did before this one, it can feel a bit like the end of the world with other teams picking up points around you. But back to winning ways here. As were Ipswich, George, they didn't lose their two previous. They drew them, but they were frustrating, weren't they? They battered uh, Ch- Cheltenham. They battered Morecambe, but they only picked up two <laughs> points from those games. And it, it almost was deja vu here. Nil-nil at half-time against Fleetwood. Similar pattern of the game. But finally, they finished a chance and came out 2-0 winners. Yeah, um, it would have been incredibly tough for them to put in a very similar, as you say, performance and not get the result that they deserve. Uh, we spoke about Kieran McKenna on Sky on Friday night, and I mentioned the stat around how many shots they'd had. I think it was 39 in those two games. And, you know, we both napped them in our betting show and I was sitting there after 70 minutes wondering, surely eventually this is this is going to go in. The ball has to. Uh, and it was a pretty unlikely goal scorer. In Sam Morsi, who uh, who finally got the goal, um, and then it was pretty cosy in the end with Caden Jackson backing it up. Um, they had 11 shots in the game, so not quite as um, you know as many as, as in previous matches, but they certainly dominated the game and, and were very good value for their win. And I, and I do think now, you know, having been 
not a doubting, but I, you know, I wasn't quite as ready to um, get on the the Ipswich um, bandwagon uh, during the, those run of good performances. Well, no, the run of good results um, a few weeks ago before the the little wobble. I think almost ironically, I think the performances we've seen in those two draws and on Saturday um, are, are better. You know, they're better than the you know the, when we saw them beat AFC Wimbledon two 0 um, and in other games during that little spell where they beat Doncaster 1-0. Um, you know, I think now we're starting to see what this team is about. And you know, they, they remind me a bit of, um, not necessarily in terms of possession, because they, um, you know, they are one of the most possession-heavy teams in the whole division. Um, but in terms of the, of the way they play, it reminds me a bit of Wigan in terms of they're not, and almost Rotherham as well, they're not a team who create necessarily loads of chances but they are built on a uh, defensive structure that is so solid that realistically if Ipswich Town score one or, or certainly two then they are very very likely to win the game because they're not going to concede many. Amen nine clean sheets in 13 games under McKenna I'm getting pretty excited about what I'm seeing I must say and I'm excited to see where it takes them from now to the end of the season they got Lincoln then Portsmouth then Oxford then Plymouth Argyle in the next four so three teams who are in that top 11 as I'm calling it um it, it's going to be a big few weeks for them but I just feel like you, know, you talk about Mornsey being an, an unlikely goal scorer he's taken on that that new role which we've I don't think he's ever played before um as the one who makes the late runs into the box which is surprising I don't know what McKenna saw in him but Morsi said himself after the game like he's been doing it for the last six games or so he's been he said, I've been having a chance basically every single game like the one I had today. And it's just about repetition in training, you know, better technique and, and keeping myself calm when I pull the trigger and, and he scored the goal. So, you know, basically everything the players are saying about McKenna is getting everyone pretty excited. I honestly think he, he seems to have them wrapped around his little finger already in terms of his his style of management, you know, calm and methodical, but with incredible um excitement in the training of it excitement in the way that he wants to play and the way that he's developing the team and, and it's uh, I think that can be a very powerful thing so given that we know they've got a very good squad of players and this squad of players now look to be hugely motivated and very well set up um, they're going to be big big players in the next uh, few weeks and months that's for sure Portsmouth might be as well George they're loving it at the moment great week for them beating Yellows at home then beating Accrington 4-0 despite being down to 10 men in the first half with a 1-0 lead. They didn't sit on it. They extended it. Uh, goals from set pieces, um, George Hurst and Sean Raggett. Uh, and then a nice fourth goal from Aidan O'Brien, who's been a really popular pickup. Uh, of course, leaving Sunderland, joining Pompey. Um, looks to be enjoying himself. George Hurst is, is the one for me to focus on right now because I think we knew with Curtis and Harness you're going to get quite a lot of attacking output. And we didn't necessarily feel their central midfield was doing a huge amount either in terms of goal scoring or in terms of being creative passers. So you kind of wanted someone else to be to be contributing on that end. And Hurst, rather than Tyler Walker, who I think we both thought was going to be quite a good signing, has been a bit disappointing. Actually, his arrival seemed to, to get Hurst to pull up his socks, get his act together. And now he looks really confident. And as someone who was always so highly rated as a youth player, um, of course, with Sheffield Wednesday, um, it's nice to see him now at senior level finally getting a run of games and getting some confidence, and now we're starting to see everything kind of falling into place. So it's great to see at the moment. I must admit, there was—I'm sure you didn't enjoy it—but Danny Cowley gave it massive guns after the win against Oxford in midweek. That the social media team put out a great extended video of his very extended celebrations and hugs with the players and clapping the fans and all four stands. And the atmosphere is sensational, and it's great to see that at Fratton Park. You know, social media Pompey fans have been 
have been just expressing their love for the Cowleys and the team right now. And uh, again, that's quite a powerful thing. So again, another team to look out for. And you can probably say the same for Bolton Wanderers, George. They beat Gillingham 3-0, uh, makes it nine wins in 12. And it was, yeah, it was those January signings doing it once more. Morley, Bodvarsson, Fossey, all loving life. Um, sensational win for them. G- Jill's in the blood. Twitter account was very honest here said Bolton was superb from start to finish technically sound all over the park wing backs playing high which made it difficult to defend against and almost impossible to know who to mark at times we weren't at our best but hands up seen off comfortably by a much better side tons of love again for Marlon Fossey I feel like we're talking about him every week on loan from Fulham the right wing back involved in in goals here uh, just involved in everything, really. Uh, looks like a magnificent player, so he's one to watch for the future. If Fulham go up, I dare say we might see him on loan in the Championship next season. George, uh, Cheltenham 4, Donny nil, Thumped again away from home, Doncaster. Just when you start thinking, uh, have they got something about them? Could they? They yeah, get absolutely thumped. Yeah, they were. Um, Cheltenham uh, themselves uh, coming off the back of a um, pretty disappointing defeat hosting crew um this is one way to to send the home fans ha- uh, home happy after after a disappointment there um yeah they were they were far clear of donny here um they battered them 21 shots in the game um Doncaster didn't really get into it adam clayton with a sending off i mean that's not really what you need if you're doncaster when you're fighting for your life and you brought in a, a player as experienced as clayton for him to um to let you down and get sent off uh, when two 0 down away from home uh, isn't really ideal, um, but you know Doncaster looked to me like a side who don't really, even though they put in a couple of better performances in recent weeks, it's going to be incredibly hard for them to to push out of this. Um, I think Carlton are probably one of the sides that I'm most excited about going forward, where they had their own poor run, where they uh, were putting in okay performances, but but not really um, getting what they deserve. But we've now seen them beat Sunderland uh, and. Fleetwood and Doncaster in their last uh, what five games we had that amazing five all draw at Wickham and then they they held Ipswich one of the games you mentioned earlier um, you know Michael Duff is still learning um, but it still feels like under his guidance Cheltenham you know we, we've spoken a lot about Cambridge's performance uh, performances this season and how they have surprised many um, but I think it's probably going a little bit under the radar how Cheltenham are, are, are basically staying up with with total ease and, and probably have ambitions to um, you know they are currently in fourteenth, um, so alongside Cambridge, um, and there's no reason why if they continue to improve, why they can't be one of the um, you know one of the sides who might surprise a few people next season. And if you're into uh, underlying numbers and data analysis, I don't know if you are or not, um, but uh, that they probably suggests that they are a bit better than fourteenth in terms of their performance level. Uh, Opta analyst numbers say they've conceded 54 goals from 40.8 expected goals against which is a huge underperformance um, you'd need to dig a little bit deeper and look at the defensive setup in and around the box and of course the goalkeeper and the shot stopping there to understand why that might have happened um, but still a huge underperformance from you know the sort of base level that uh, defensive structure they've put up and then 46 scored from 49.2 generated so a bit of underperformance there as well albeit um, slightly negligible and it's such impressive stuff so yeah more credit to Mike Duff the next task you know, you say you're excited about it. I'm excited about it too. But they've got a quite a big job this summer, recruitment-wise. Um, they've only got like six first teamers contracted next season, as far as I can tell from transfer marks. So it's a big recruitment job. It's not to say it's beyond them by any means, but you know, you have to evolve and adapt if you go up a level and you want to stay there and keep building and consolidating. 
Um, they've got four low knees that are kind of down the spine of the team as well with Pollock at the back, Wright and Ramsey in midfield and Etete up front as well. So a lot of work for the recruitment team to do. But, um, you know, if they can match the output of Mike Duff and and, uh, and his players, particularly Alfie May, who has 10 goals in seven games, then they'll be just fine. Cambridge nil, Shrews nil. Uh, Shrewsbury much the better side here and probably disappointing they didn't win the game. Uh, same can be said, as I mentioned, for Sunderland, the other away side. Uh, the better side against Charlton, but drew 0-0. League 2 saw some big games and big results. Uh, we'll pay off Salford 1, Forest Green 1, because we don't like draws. It does mean it's no win in 5 now for Forest Green, but they're still 8 points clear. And this week they picked up a point away at Newport, a point away at Salford. Not something to sniff at that. Um, Not at all. Pretty confident they'll be getting back to winning ways recently. I'd so. go as far as saying good week. I think. Good week. Good week mm. for Forest Green, George. Um, and Salford won't be too disappointed either. Although they did throw away a, a lead given to them by the big meaty head of Matt Smith, scoring one of the most Matt Smith goals ever. I loved it. Uh, the biggest fixture, well, there were there were lots of big ones. Let's go Northampton 3, Tranmere 2, George. This one, I think, was second versus third going into it. 3-2 um, makes it look like a bit of a ding-dong, but realistically, Cobblers 3-0 up after 65 minutes from here. It was a late flurry from Tranmere, but a comfortable win for, for Cobblers and probably probably backs up what you think about these two teams in general. Yeah, I mean, but if you're Mickey Mellon, and this this isn't a criticism of him, I just love to know, and you're because plenty of other League Two managers um, have have fallen to a similar fate. If you're Mickey Mellon and you're there, and you presume you must have been working on set pieces all week, like defending set pieces, like you know, you, you know that Northampton are the best team in the division, uh, attacking set pieces. You know that they are effectively in the automatic promotion race purely because they score goals from set pieces and you watch Fraser Horsfall unchallenged not in two headers within eight minutes of each other surely you're just thinking about how how has this happened unless there is just a complete lack of realization or preparation around trying to stop cobblers from scoring those goals I mean all credit to them and you know for Mitch Pinnock to get a goal and assist he's, he's clearly and his delivery has been so important to them this season but um you know you <laughs> often you think that stopping um, your opposition's best player has to be something you work on and it's difficult but uh, I just find it incredible how often both Horsfall and Guthrie are, are, are found uh, open in the box and how they're able to, to consistently score for Horsfall to have nine goals I think it is in the league this season um, him, and Guthrie combined eight, is, is eight goals. him and Guthrie combined is 14 I think which uh, Christian the Quest stat legend told me is 33% a third of all their league goals this season coming Mad, from the centre-backs well, it's great. Unbelievable. I love Fair it. Fair play. Yeah, yeah, so do I. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying not having a go at all. I just, I, I would, I'd love to know um, how, how it happens. And, you know, are these teams working on trying to stop them? Is it just a, a cobbler's incredibly well drilled at finding innovative ways of getting the ball on their head? Or is it just a case of, you know, they're just so good um, in the air that people can't get near them? I find it just puzzling. Puzzling. It was just as well, isn't it? I mean, if they were, only 50% as good at scoring goals from set pieces. It'd be interesting to know where they'd be in the league table because only four teams have scored fewer goals from open play than Cobblers this season. That's Barrow, Colchester, Carlisle and Scunthorpe United. You know, all teams in the bottom, what, six places in the league. The good thing is they don't need to worry about that because they are that good at set piece situations. And a happy birthday to the Cobblers as well. Formed on the 6th of March, 1897. 
125 years of Northampton Town. A, a delightful commemorative kit as well to mark the occasion and a big, big win to help cement their automatic promotion credentials. Let me just remind you, Northampton Town, eight points behind Forest Green. We don't, we're not worried about Forest Green if we're cobblers. We're more worried about fourth place and they got a four-point buffer on fourth place Newport right now. Um, of course, they're joined in the automatics now by Sutton United and they were joined in celebrating a birthday with Sutton United. They were formed uh, on the 5th of March, 1898. So they were celebrating their 124th birthday, uh, founded 364 days after Northampton Town. And they finished the day in the automatic promotion places of the highest division, George, that Sutton United have ever been in, uh, as has been the case over the last few weeks, missing some key attacking players as well. Uh, but Enzio Boldovine very much stepped up here. A beautifully sumptuous free kick. Uh, yeah, Sutton were very good here. Um, you know, off the back of a difficult run um, where given pre-season expectations and given, you know, where their their perceived right place in the league would be you, you could have forgiven them if if their season had kind of started to peter out and you know their, their promotion challenge um alongside it but none of it at all you know they came here they were um you know their home form is is very good and has been very good all season um they were the better side against rochdale boldline with a couple of great goals and, and kizzy with a, a strike from range as well um you know, Matt Gray um, continues to do a, a magnificent job. And, and that is, in a similar way to Newport in, a couple of weeks ago, it feels like that win at the back end of a, of a difficult run um, can be so important in just getting everyone um, back on side in terms of, of the expectations. You know, they, they are sitting in third. Uh, they've got a game in hand on a couple of teams around them as well. Um, you know, it is so tight up there with Exeter, three points off Sutton. Um, two games in hand and currently outside the playoffs. It's going to be a pretty frantic um, sprint to the finish line, but but Sutton are, are doing their chances of, of ending up there. Um, no harm at all. And of course, the real disruptors in League Two over the last few months have been Mansfield Town, who've been on the longest stag party of all time. It continued on, on Friday night. They beat Exeter at home. It was their 10th home league win in a row, the first time they've done that since 1949, in front of the biggest home crowd of the season. Uh, a, a win that saw some strong performances, particularly from Farron Rawson at the back, who's not always been a fan favourite, I think it's fair to say. Uh, he did stab home the opening goal, but I think it was his defensive resolve that stood out the most. Goalkeeper Nathan Bishop, excellent once again. And, and maybe there's a part of me that thinks... If I'm praising Mansfield all the time, but I'm but I'm also praising their goalkeeper for making excellent saves multiple times per game, then maybe I should go a little bit easier <laughs> on praising Mansfield here. Um, but look, extra a good side. Nigel Clough, in fact, said the best side they've played this season. So he was certainly very, very happy. And, and if Nigel Clough is outwardly happy, I think there's normally a reason for it. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, Matty Longstaff, of course, uh, he of... Premier League Newcastle United fame um, showing a knack for arriving late into the box of midfield and scoring goals from midfield which is a decent knack to have you have to say um, he scored the second goal here so um, couldn't be going any better really for Mansfield at this time particularly at home so interesting tests coming up Tranmere and Port Vale away next up for Stags uh, you wonder if Nathan Bishop might need to be excellent again to keep the good times rolling as for Exeter good side they've come up against half decent performance Nigel Clough was impressed that's for sure didn't fall on the right side of it no massive harm done they've also got games in hand just like Mansfield uh, and one of them comes in midweek extra against Swindon should be a good one I would like to suggest that if anyone's got a free Tuesday evening that'd be a great one 
to drop a tenner on and I follow. Watch Exeter Swindon, two good footballing league, two sides, lots of exciting young players on show um, and probably, probably some goals as well. Newport won Bristol Rovers nil. Just the one goal in this one, George, but quite a lively fair. I think both teams gave this a good go. Uh, in the end, it, it was kind of individual quality that won the game for Newport uh, in what was a, a game that went back and forth. The individual quality of James Waite scoring from just outside the box, his first goal in EFL football, having signed from Penny Bont, who were in the Welsh top flight uh, in January. Knows Robry from his time in the youth system at Cardiff City, so that's quite a nice little one there. But then the keeper, Nick Townsend. Uh, it, it should have been 1-1. That header was heading into the top corner. Townsend made sure it didn't go in. Newport, 1-0 winners against Joey Barton's gas. Yeah, I mean, I'm given... Gas's recent good form as well um, made all the more impressive. You know, I mentioned Newport there as being a side who, who looked looked to be upwardly mobile, um, and that was the case here. Bristol Rovers for the you know it feels to me like even when they don't get the the result they deserve, um, they play okay. You know, they were good against Exeter in the one-all draw a couple of weeks ago. They were good enough here. Probably could have felt um, like they deserved something out of the game, um, but were unable to put away any of their their 15 shots in the game. Townsend played well in goal. Um, for Newport and you know I still wouldn't rule out Bristol Rovers and Joey Barton having some kind of a say at the back end of the season um, you know the, the the run of wins may be over but the performances don't look to me like they've dipped particularly um, and that makes this win even more impressive and more important for County. Cameron Norman had to play centre-back as well they were very light at the back uh, he's normally their right back having to play CB so more good things here not concerned about Bristol Rovers here despite defeat I think they played pretty well but Newport in general just a great story isn't it um, the biggest crowd of the season so far at Rodney Parade both Newport and Mansfield they're not the only ones I should say but I just want to point out given that we just spoke about those two teams they just have a great vibe at the moment and it's really pleasing to see because I have commented to you a few times in recent weeks George how if you spend too much time on social media tracking the the trends of EFL football fans you do find yourself quite down sometimes there always seems to be either for genuine existential off-field understandable reasons or sometimes what feels from the outside to sometimes be kind of slightly hysterical um, footballing reasons. You just see a lot of negativity. You see at this stage of the season, you see a, particularly a lot of like, well, that's us done. You know, it could be a team in like third place. They'll be like, oh, well, that's it from us. We're done now. Look at this. This is t- we are done. This is it. Everyone out. And it can get me a bit a bit down, you know, because I don't like bad energy, as you know. Newport and Mansfield, magnificent energy right now, and I love it. Bradford 1, Swindon 2. Good game. I wanted to lead into this by telling you that Mark Hughes scored a brace against Swindon in the Premier League, 25th of September 1993. But on Saturday, Swindon got their sweet, sweet revenge. Some beautiful goals in this one and late drama. Yeah, that was all the talk before this game. Will Swindon revenge that um, that the goal from Mark Hughes? Um yeah, positives I'd say for Bradford here. Um, you know, they were they were okay on the day. Um they they had chances to uh to score in the game. They 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 weren't particularly porous, I think, given how um poor Bradford had been in recent weeks. They they looked to me to be a um quite clear improvement. Um, but they come away with nothing. Again, Jack Payne, former Bradford player, no chance of him doing a muted celebration when he scores a, a 95th minute penalty to win the game 2-1 and understandably so. You know, it's it's a, it's a huge win for Swindon who um who, who are going through their own 
decent little spell at the moment. Um, unlike previously in the campaign where they were um, dominating matches, dominating possession, um, that's not so much the case really here. Again, they had 44% possession. It feels like things have changed a little bit in terms of the way they're looking to to, to play in games, possibly due to the personnel changing in January. Um, but still picking up points on a fairly regular basis. Uh, they've won four of their last five now, um, scoring a fair few goals in that time. You know, five past Warsaw. So, yeah, five past Warsaw, three past Gunny and Carlisle, and then a couple here as well. So, um, bouncing back from the defeat at home to Salford in style uh, and certainly looking likely to to be in the top seven uh, and being at least a playoff side come the end of the campaign. Ben Garner being slightly undermined by some quite tedious injury problems as well, annoyingly, for, for this Swindon side, who, as you mentioned, are in good form. Louis Barry missed this one after turning his ankle against Salford. A Brandon Cooper on loan from Swans, who we've always liked and loan spells with Swindon and Newport. He's out for the seasons, headed back to Swans. And Joe Tomlinson, who's on loan from Posh, has also been picking up rave reviews. He's picked up an injury as well, slightly less serious, I think. So, um, I mean, Garner's down to maybe 16, 17 fit players, which is not ideal, but getting a lot out of them. And I've got a nick at a stat, actually, from a, a local reporter of Swindon that was uh, regurgitated on the NTT20 squad by uh, Richard, who is a Swindon fan who, someone mentioned earlier, essentially provides the athletic-style coverage of Swindon Town just for us on the NTT20 squad. It's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Um, it adds so much to, to our understanding of, of, the, of their season and their team. It's incredible. And he forwarded this on before this game. Swindon didn't have a game in midweek before it. Um, a free week to train. And uh, this victory meant that Swindon have now played 16 games in all competitions when they haven't had a midweek game in the preceding week. And their record is nine wins, six draws and one defeat. And the defeat was against Man City, uh, which was the FA Cup match, and they played that on a Friday night. So um, a pretty impressive record in games where they haven't had midweek fixture. Clearly, it's it's understandable that you know things are a bit easier when you haven't had to travel maybe in midweek or play a game in midweek. But even so, I think that reflects very well on Ben Garner and what he does on the training pitch. George, we know that the League 2 relegation battle is big at the moment, and we know that there were some quite big fixtures within it. Um, probably the most surprising winner of the weekend, arguably, was Colchester United. They beat Port Vale 1-0 here. Uh, not a pretty football match and a set-piece goal to win it. But for Cole U, any three points is just absolutely massive at the moment. Yeah, it felt like a throwback to the beginning of the season with Shamal George just making save after save um, and Colchester coming out on top uh, in in. in thanks to their to their very very good shot stopping keeper uh, he was brilliant on the day um colchester you know there wasn't some massive upturn in, in performance level um they took one of their few chances um through that uh, tom dallison um in the late in the second half and port vale you know, daryl clark still not on the touchline um after having a family bereavement and being given some compassionate leave uh, hopefully everything is um you know improving for the clark family um and you know you have to think that it's a difficult situation for the club to be in and and you know the for the manager not to be around probably isn't ideal for for what's going on on the pitch but of course other things much more important uh, and hopefully he can come back soon uh whenever he's ready to um but for port vale's promotion bid this was a big hit and for colchester as we say those teams towards the bottom every three points now are so important 
Amen. A huge, huge win. I'm, my bullishness about Vale has taken a bit of a hit because they're, they're so tough to watch going forward. Um, really struggling on that front and that, you know, even though, as I always say, that they basically never concede more than one and, and more often than not keep a clean sheet. Uh, if you don't score, then you don't get a huge amount out of any game. A uh, huge, huge game was Oldham against Carlisle. Uh, build this one as the club legend saviour derby between John Sheridan and Paul Simpson. And it was Simpson who came out on top, somewhat surprisingly, uh, because Oldham dominated the first half. They missed a pen in it. They took the lead in it. And Carlisle turned it around. Whatever Simpson did or said at half time, having a big impact, the character of the players, the personality of, of this team under Simpson coming to the fore. And Omari Patrick coming to the fore as well. Uh, it's been a, a absolute mad few weeks for him because... Uh, just before Simpson took charge, their final defeat under Keith Millen, there was an incident in Carlisle uh, when he was on when he was out uh, on the Saturday night. It, there was lots of rumours, most of them false. I'm pretty confident, um, but it was one of those where you you know there was a lot of talk about Patrick, you know, his heart not being in it. Why is he going out after a defeat? All that sort of classic stuff, which is all a bit silly. Um, but he scored three and three under Simpson, uh, huge, huge goals. Uh, in this instance, it was the equaliser and Morgan Feeney nodded home right at the end to win it. Um, the EFL, very very famous for its uh, dramatic Deeney goal. And now we had a dramatic <laughs> Feeney goal. Uh, huge, huge three points for Carlisle. And, and, Massive, yeah. You know, this is the thing. For Oldham, I think we're still not too concerned because performances are massively improved on where they were beforehand. They're still in the relegation zone. You know, all, all the talk of the Shez erection. They still have work to do here, uh, even more so after Carlisle's win, which means three wins in a row. They go up into 18th spot, six points above the relegation. Unreal. So, what a week. Incredible. Orient 2, Stevenage 2. Back-to-back uh, -back injury time equalisers for Orient against relegation rivals. Colu in midweek, Stevenage here. Without them, Orient would be three points behind Stevenage and five points behind Colu. Instead, they're only one behind Colu and one above Stevenage. It still feels like they've got a lot of work to do, Orient. And it'll start with appointing a manager. Now, the owner, Nigel Travis, he of Dunkin' Donuts fame, uh, he's in town, which suggests that he's sort of flown in for some interviews, which makes sense. There have been rumours about Jonathan Woodgate, rumours about Darren Ferguson, rumours about Neil Lennon. But the strongest, I think, are Richie Wellens' rumours. Richie Wellens in at Leighton Orient. Um, that would be an interesting one, wouldn't it, George? We're sort of still really clinging on to that incredible promotion at Swindon. A Salford job that I think we were quite happy to sort of leave to one side as being 50-50. And then a Donny job that didn't end up looking that great. Yeah, it's very hard to look at the job that he did at Swindon and not come to the conclusion that there is a very, very capable manager in there. Um, yes, the squad was was pretty good, but he was also working under a manager, uh, under an owner sorry, in Simon Power that no other manager seemingly could be successful under. Um, yes, things did not go well at Doncaster. Things did not go well at Salford. Um, but I think if you're late in Orient, you are still getting hold of a manager who only a couple of years ago was hot property um, and who has achieved a promotion, getting out of League Two, playing a very attractive style of football that's very popular with fans. So I, I can kind of see the, um, you know, I, I can see the logic here, although. Now, you're also hiring someone who's been sacked from his last two jobs, having done very, very little um, in the way of positive work. So it's, there is a risk attached, but I can also see the upside too. See how we go on that front. It's certainly not confirmed by any means, just the strongest name that I've heard so far. Uh, finish us off this one. 
No impact on the top or bottom of the table, but it was a game between Harrogate and Hartlepool. Uh, of course, Harrogate in their second season in the EFL. Hartlepool came up um, back from non-league in their first season. Hartlepool win it and go four points above Harrogate. Hartlepool in 12th, Harrogate in 14th. Uh, it, it was just one win in their first 14 away from home, Hartlepool. And now it's three in four. Graham Lee certainly cooking up something special away from home at the moment. And realistically, Harrogate were probably the stronger side here. Um, and the two goals that Hartlepool scored will Great be... Great goal, though. Wow. Lee Molyneux. Wow. What a strike. Curling in with his left foot from range from the right-hand side. And then Ferguson, more of a low, sweetly struck driller. Um, absolutely sensational what an away day that would have been uh, and for anyone who kept watching Quest right till the end I had quite a nice I had quite a nice line I thought George where I'll, I'll let you be the judge I said um, I said yeah, it's funny isn't it Colin I, I, it's always left feet in football that yeah, are considered cultured well I think Hartlepool should be the next city of culture <laughs> <laughs> is someone going to tweet accent to Partridge or am I going to have to no I'm joking mate I like it it's good it is good It was. I liked it when I heard it live I liked it when I heard it again there I always like to say something properly weird in that last chat just for anyone that's still up at that point just as yeah. a little a little bonus a little easter egg a gift uh, mm. Omar Bogle's been good hasn't he involved in yes. um, five good, good, good assist that one five goal contributions one. in seven games for Hartlepool mm. that's, that's nice to see a renaissance of sorts for Omar Bogle that's it for us the end of the Monday pod. What a fun one it's been. So many matches of football to talk about and um, and the best possible person to talk about them with, my friend George Alec. I've been Ali Maxwell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not give it a retweet on Twitter? That helps us to find new listeners and potentially new audience members of our live show at the Leicester Square Theatre on May the 19th at 7pm. God, we'd love to see you there. It's going to be mm. seriously fun. We can't give too much away at the moment because we're spinning a lot of plates, as you can imagine. Georgia, the circus act, spinning plates. Uh, but we're going to have some great names there on stage with us. Um, and we're going to say some gr- amazing stuff that you've never heard before as well. And uh, we can't wait for it. So do buy a ticket on the Leicester Square Theatre website. And make sure you listen to the um, the podcast later on in the week. We'll have a betting show for you on Thursday. Just wishing you all the best. Thanks for listening. Go well.